Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of FF Plus, our spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, discussion, interviews, and much more. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me for tonight's reactions to a couple of new films are Patrick. Hey, everyone. And Kales. Good evening. Now, tonight, guys, we are going to do something a little bit different with our format than we have done in the past, just to sort of more so even differentiate this from the way that we do our main show episodes than we have in the you know previous episodes. So we're going to try something a little bit more structured, a little briefer as well, just to kind of give you, the listener, a quick and thorough reaction from each and every one of us. We're going to hit on what we liked. We're going to quickly hit on anything we didn't like, and we're going to tell you if we liked it enough for you to go see it or not. And we're going to keep it that simple because we don't want this to take up all of your day. We just want to give you the opportunity to know, is this a movie that you think is going to be worth your time or not? So with that being said, we won't waste any more of your time with long-winded intros, and we'll just jump right into the first one. The movie is called Let Him Go. You could sing it if you want. Let him go. Let him go. He's not a wee boy anymore. Anyway, uh, it's called Let Him Go, and it is based on a novel by Larry Watson. It will be available in theaters on November the 6th, and it stars Kevin Costner, Diane Lane, Leslie Manville, Jeffrey Donovan, Kaylee Carter, Boo Boo Stewart, and Will Britton. It is written and directed by Thomas Bazooka. <laughs> Not bazooka, but bazooka. Maybe it's bazooka, but I'm gonna go with bazooka because I, I I'm, I'm still stuck on boo boo. Yeah, I <laughs> boo boo Stewart. I know. Oh boy. That's a nickname. That's a nickname. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to look that up after this. Well, this film, the story is uh, following the loss of their son, retired sheriff George Blackledge and his wife Margaret leave their Montana ranch to rescue their young grandson from the clutches of a dangerous family living off the grid in the Dakotas, headed by matriarch Blanche Weeboy. When they discover the Weeboys have no intention of letting the child go, George and Margaret are left with no choice but to fight for their family. Now, this is very much in the vein of a... Thrill, a dramatic thriller in a sense it's a slow burn and it really kind of ratchets up that tension as it goes um so i'm going to start with you Coles. what did you like about this one what were a couple things that stuck out to you costner lane and leslie manville were the big reasons why i was able to enjoy this film somewhat i felt that costner and lane's relationship um, as far as their marriage, they had that unconditional love, like that chemistry, like they had been together for a long time and they had been through a lot. They've been through the good and the bad. And I really love that aspect of the film. They really, they really carry the first half of the film with their relationship. And Leslie Manville, she only gets two or three scenes, but she comes in there and knocks it out of the party. It's not, I mean, she steals it. I mean, sadly, she only had a few scenes to work with, but every time she's on the screen, I mean, she's magnetic. I could say that the cinematography looks a little bit nice. It has a Western feel to it. Um, kind of a romanticism with the, with the past of the old West. That's, um, pretty much everything I can come with it as far as liking it. Oh boy. 
<laughs> Good thing we have another section on this podcast now for things that you didn't like. <laughs> Patrick, what about you? What were we there? What were some things that you enjoyed about this? The casting was good. I'll agree with Celeste. And I also like the simplicity of the story. I think it's important to be able to, when you put something together like this, having not read the book, I don't know all the details, what was left in, what was left out. But it seems like when you create a story, it can become distracting from the character development and a lot of the things that you put into a movie. And when that happens, you tend to sort of either get lost in either the character development or the overall narrative. And I think that the intent of the movie was to show through the events that played out this strength of family and how not just with a direct member of the family, like a daughter, but also a second generation. It And it actually reminded me a little bit of some of the things we talked about from The Art of Racing in the Rain, this idea of a, a grandchild potentially living with grandparents and the situation is completely different but at the same time there's still that tension for different reasons and i think the simplicity of the story and being able to know okay you can describe this in probably a couple of different lines but what makes the story compelling is all of the character development and the way in which we see costner and lane interact with each other and interact with this family that wants to keep this this grandchild and for me I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it yeah i i did as well i think that the theme of it and the way that the title plays into it let him go it's kind of a dual theme that applies to the parents who are grieving over the loss of their son and trying to come to terms with that while also dealing with the tangible situation of how are they going to get this other group of people to let him go when it comes to their grandson. And so the way in which that plays out and the relationships, I enjoyed the concept of it, I guess. I think um, I really liked the way that the tension builds. I think that it has a nice crescendo. I kind of enjoy it when there's quite a bit of slow moments to a movie and then there's just one or two outbursts of violence and that's what we see here um, because it doesn't have to happen all the way throughout the movie to be shocking for it and I and I like that um, I also really enjoyed the cinematography Colesh you mentioned that and it is just it's the landscapes of where they're filming clearly it looks like Montana or the Dakotas and it's just a very simplistic and minimalistic set I mean 90% of the time, they're either outdoors in the plains with nothing around. It, it must have been a very low-budget movie. Or inside of a building, like a house. That's pretty much all there is to this movie when it comes to filming locations. And I actually like that. Um, the, and I did the performances. Like, I gotta agree with you guys. So I, The performances are great. Leslie Manville. <laughs> Coles. Dude, cosine, cosine, cosine. Phantom Thread is when we really became fans of Leslie Manville and were turned on to just how much talent she had, at least most of us. And she brings that same energy here. She ratchets it up to 11 at times, and she is just a scary domineering matriarch in this role uh, as the wee boy mother. And I thought she stole every scene she was in as well. Like, she just completely dominated the screen and my attention in a way that I thoroughly enjoyed. 
but there are some tender moments too between Costner and Diane Lane that are really sweet. And I made the joke when I was making my review of this when the embargo was up that you know this movie would have been a lot different if Clark Kent was home from college and able to help his parents out because <laughs> I think the outcome would have been much different. So well, I would say the the log line should be "Don't mess with the Kents." That's the log there you line. go. That's yeah. That would have <laughs> that would have worked as well. So Coles, you kind of alluded to the fact that you didn't have a ton you liked about this. What didn't you like, or what didn't work for you? I mean, once we get to the end, you know, it's kind of one of those films where you can appreciate that it gave you a little bit of enjoyment, but afterwards you don't really feel the need to go back to it again. And I and I really feel that sadly this film doesn't really grow out of this basicness. Um, there are times where I feel like it could push through. Like, they could have shown more of the Wee Boy family. I felt that we didn't get a chance to see really what made the Wee Boys, like, a powerful force in, in the town they were in. You know, we kind of see that Leslie Manville's character, the mom, she's like the kingpin. She's the leader of this clan. But we never really, we never really get to see them in their most intimate moments outside of the one scene where Costner and Lane go to their house. So I wanted to see more from that. At times, you know, it can get a little bit, like, sweet and tender almost like if lifetime wanted to make a western film then this would probably be right up their alley it would be perfect for like a saturday afternoon 12 o'clock um p.m slot i really felt that it could have did a lot more narrative wise uh, i mean there are there are certain points where you can kind of predict where the story is going and it's kind of like the same hey like you know, we need to save our grandson. You know, our daughter-in-law is being beaten by somebody and we need to save her from this family. And it, it, I've seen this over and over again and it, I already knew kind of predicted what the ending was going to be. That's That was the parts that left me kind of wanting more from the film. But it's still enjoyable. Very fair. Patrick, what about you? Did anything stand out to you as distracting or frustrating? No, but I would agree with Colette that it's one that doesn't really leave you wanting to do an instant rewatch. And I think the blessing of this is also the curse. The simplicity of the story leaves you kind of asking the question, was there no middle ground? Or did we get to, hey, we're looking for our daughter and now we want to go after these guys with violence. Now, the execution of that, I think, was effective in that there became a motive for what we saw play out. But because it ratchets itself up pretty distinctly, like going from a slow burn to a, oh my gosh, now we're into a thriller, that was a li little bit kind of off-putting in terms of the rhythm. Had it played itself out a little bit slower or not ramped itself up as quickly, I think I would have enjoyed it more. And like you, Coles, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on with the Wee Boy family that maybe that slowness could have given us a little bit more depth with them not that i wanted to feel empathy for them i mean i think they play great little mustache twirling villains but at the same time if you're going to give me some drama tender moments with this family give me a little bit of the opposite end too so that i can feel kind of like i'm getting a complete picture and not just a straight kind of escape revenge slightly action drama mixed in yeah i i'm with you i came away with the exact same feeling it was unmemorable for me and i thought that the story while i enjoyed the idea of it being a basis for a decent thriller and it was just so bare bones the way that they approached it that i felt zero 
thought, or I, I guess afterwards, it just it did it left my mind completely, and I had no desire to revisit it, no desire to think about it. Uh, there's nothing that happens in it that is particularly memorable. I had maybe one moment is sort of memorable, but it's just because of its burst of violence. But otherwise, it was just a take it or leave it kind of reaction for me, and it was very average, very bare bones, um, uh, and just not something that I thought did enough with the idea to make it stand out. I think what you guys are suggesting would have been great, like giving us anything more than we got on the Wee Boys, because other than Leslie Manville as the matriarch, they're all just cookie cutter uh, characters in in that family. You can't really tell one from the other. You could just put them in and out and and they'd be the same person. And that's not really something distinct enough to keep my attention. Well, last question, guys. Are you feeling it? Yes or no? Coles? I'm feeling it if you're only going to watch it one time. All right. Patrick? I am feeling it at home, not in the theater. Okay. I'm feeling it at home as well. I think it's a decent rental. It's under two hours, so it plays out pretty quick. I think there's enough there to keep you entertained. I was engaged while I watched it. I just wasn't something that I cared about after the fact, and I don't think it would play well in a theater. I think I would have actually liked it less. I would have been upset that I wasted money and time to go see it in a theater setting, because there's not, even though we say, like, the landscapes are pretty and stuff, they're not pretty in a way that it needs a big screen to enjoy it at all. Yeah. It's not a travel I we're watching here. Yeah. No. not it's It's not the writer by any stretch of the imagination so all right guys well let's move on to the next one we have for tonight this one's called coded bias and it is going to be available in new york theaters on november the 11th 2020 and then it will roll out to some more theaters in more select cities including seattle on november the 18th and basically continue further expanding from there you can actually find out exactly what cities are getting this win uh, on a website, httpsmetrograph.com slash live dash screenings slash coded slash bias. And you can find out all the details about when this is coming out in your area there. And it will be hitting VOD after it finishes up with this staggered out theatrical run. It's directed by Shalina Kentaya, and it's about this, an exploration of the fallout of MIT Media Lab researcher Joy Buolamwini's startling discovery of racial bias in facial recognition algorithms. Patrick, I'm going to kick this to you first. What did you think about Black Mirror, the documentary? <laughs> right? <laughs> I really enjoyed it, and I think more than anything, I've realized this because I've watched probably about 17 documentaries this year because that seems to be what this year needs is documentaries things that inform it was also very entertaining and i think that's what documentaries also need is that entertainment factor but more than anything i want my documentaries to leave me with a little bit of hope and a lot of information and what i mean by that is i don't want you to just preach the problem because if you're telling me that America sucks in a two-hour documentary, Michael Moore, and you're leaving me with nothing after it, like how do we fix it or what has been done to help fix it, you've just kind of left me in a pessimistic state, and I don't want that. This one did not. What we find 
throughout the documentary is we get all this information and it's scary how we look at algorithms and new technology and how it's unregulated. But we're left with victories in front of the Senate with regulation happening in different places. And I think that when you are able to digest that, it leaves you open to be able to not necessarily preach the message because I think any documentary is going to be biased, <laughs> ironically, when it talks about <laughs> coded bias. And it's important, obviously, to look at everything and not just one facet of this type of thing, but it definitely opens up a set of dialogue that allows you to say, look, we need to be able to look at technology in a way that as we get more immersed in it, as we become more dependent on it, sad to say, it needs to be regulated. And particularly when they talk about the algorithms that are out there that, quote, help people figure out what they're supposed to buy on the internet or how judges are supposed to sentence people. These have elements of goodness in them, but I think what the documentary effectively does is it allows us to see that algorithms, when left unchecked, really do become tools for destruction and tools for more types of racism and prejudice and oppression. And I think I walked away feeling like, man, America's got problems, but it ain't nothing fair to China. No, I didn't say that. No, it's just, but it does. But, but there is some eye-opening stuff when we see where China is unapologetically in the state that they are and how some of that has kind of fed into a lot of Great Britain and eventually over to the state. So I walked away feeling incredibly informed. I thought the structure of it was pretty fantastic. Uh, bookending with this, uh, with, I forget her, I forgot her name, but bookending with, with her story. You were going to say it, Aaron. No, and, I was not because oh, I can't repeat it. I already tried to, I butchered it once. I'm not trying okay. again. Read it on IMDb so we don't offend people. She's incredible. But I don't want to do her wrong. Is. Yeah, she is. And it, uh, overall, it was one I really enjoyed. What about you, Coles? I would say that this is a must-watch documentary. It's it's a documentary that educates, you know, like Patrick was saying, and it also horrifies you. Um, 40 minutes in, I was thinking that, hey, I could place this among one of the best horror films of the year. I mean, because it, because we do not understand, most people do not understand that the tools that we use that was supposed to make things easier, like social media, you know, all these inventions, these algorithms, they were supposed to make things efficient, more cleaner, more um, more time to get work done. But it also leaves you trapped, you know, because just like people, algorithms can become biased as well. And I like how this film really talked about the creation of AI. You know, in most films that talk about social media, they really never talk about the beginnings. Like, you know, the people who are responsible for bringing these new concepts. And they talk about the early guys who founded AI. And remember that, Back in this time, you know, in the world of science, there wasn't many um, people of color, black or brown in these fields. So now these same technologies are coming to discriminate against black and brown people because this whole country has been built on discrimination of black and brown people. And we're starting to have facial recognition technology that is becoming akin to a Black Mirror episode. 
I think it was season the season the first season that Black Mirror went to Netflix, and there's an episode with Bryce Dallas Howard called Nosedive. I think that's what it's called. Yes, and where pretty much she's using her social capital to, to rate live everything. Mm-hmm. Yes, she rates everything. Yeah, yeah, to live and just walk and be able to have access to stuff in this world. And the same thing is going on in China, like Patrick talked about. That was the most scary um, scene of the whole documentary when we go to China and we see how they're using biometric technology to track everybody and how everybody is forced to use it in order to live in this country. And there's a speaker, an interviewer in this documentary who talks about many people think that, oh, we're lucky not to be in China, but America is going through the same thing except it's silent. We have algorithms that, you know, that's eventually going to get into the hands of police officers to use, but that has been shown to discriminate against black or brown people. We have algorithms now that determine whether you get into a college or whether you get a job or whether, you know, a banker or Wall Street would try to entice you with a, with a high subprime loan because you have a high risk of default. It's, it's scary. It's now instead of 2001 Space Odyssey where there was how? Now we got thousands of them now everywhere. And unless the government, the powers that be, do something to curb this technology and try to gain control of it, then we're headed for 1984 by George Orwell, the book. Wow, you guys are nailing everything. We all loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was definitely a must-watch as well. It's one of those movies, documentaries, where I immediately started texting all of my family and friends and was like, here, I need you to watch this. Well, I couldn't do that because it's not out. But I was like, I need you to understand that this is coming, and I want you to go watch it. I want you to see it. You need to understand what's happening. The interesting thing for me in watching this was not only just learning that this was going on, but specifically, it was <laughs> sort of refreshing to know that it's not necessarily intentional. I, I, I mean, I it sounds weird to say, but like we watch a lot of stuff that is about race and sexism and such that is calling out the intentional systemic problems that exist and are perpetuated with full knowledge. This felt a little bit different to me because the explanation we get early on, which I thought was phenomenal, was this. AI is based on data. Data is a reflection of our history. So the past dwells within our algorithms. It's very simple. Right, An algorithm, all it does is take historical information and make a prediction about the future. And what this research was showing and what she's going to explain in depth when you watch this is basically in a TLDR version that because our history has racism in it and because that is the systemic issues that our country is built on, that's our history. So that's what's going into the model and therefore it's going to predict based on that unless you tell it to do something different. So it's not even necessarily where something is intentionally being done. It's because when she brings this to her court, the the congressional hearings and and like Patrick said, there's a little bit of hope at the end of this one, which was nice. You know, she talks about uh, going to IBM and having a conversation with them and whether, you know, how they reacted to her was nice to hear. Uh, So I think that it's really something everybody needs to pay attention to, though, because Facebook (laughs) Much like the social dilemma we watched earlier this year as a um, documentary, you know, Facebook has this data on us and 
the way in which it's being used is not in our control. <laughs> and we need to understand how these things can play and how they can disproportionately affect people that the system is not built for, right? Because if history is leaned in the favor of the white male, then your algorithm for the predicting the future is going to lean in towards favoring the white male as well. And it's not, it's not intentionally egregious. It's just the way it is. Unless we decide it's, it's intentionally egregious. If we don't now we recognize it and we don't step in and make change, right? That becomes the problem. That was my takeaway was, okay, now we know this. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to fix it? And so I liked all of that. I, I just thought the con learning about this was awesome for me and interesting uh, from a compelling standpoint. And like you said, also really scary. I like how the movie was made, the documentary as well. Uh, it's not super cinematic or anything, but it flows really well. It's got graphics that come on screen and, you know, it's got a fun little female howl version that pops up every once in a while that I thought was cute and I enjoyed as well. Uh, and I really, really liked it. Maybe want to go play the new game that's coming out, Watch Dogs Legion, because it's all about basically an underground <laughs> resistance living in London and having to avoid their facial re recognition and their different kinds of surveillance. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, this game is like way too perfect to come out right now. All right. Uh, who did I start with? Patrick? I started with Patrick, right? Yeah. Okay. Was there anything you didn't like about this one? Um, so I, I think that, no, not really. If I had to pick anything, I would say that the thing that you talked about was the doc opens up with that familiar systemic racism awareness, things that are important, but it bleeds into something that's bigger, something that affects the whole world. It's something that I think is important because when we talk about areas that are very sensitive, things that are not familiar to a particular race or a population for instance me being a white guy it's probably more difficult for me to talk about black issues and systemic racism because it's not something that i'm familiar with or connected to more intimately i am more now than i was a year ago and two years before for that but i think where this film does well is it broadens that and i think if i had to say something negative is that it sort of starts with this one narrative and then kind of deviates but not in a way that feels very distracting at all and it again brings it back around to the fact that these are connected pieces these are not two different topics that are being talked about so i, I say outside of that no I don't have okay what about you Coles? anything you didn't like about it i can't find anything that um i didn't like about it uh, i would like to bring back to patrick's point where he talked about how sometimes it's all about if a movie can scare you but can leave you with a little bit of hope because nothing's worse than watching something that's truly happening in the real world and then yet having to feel like oh there's nothing we can do about it we're just going to slowly succumb to this but this film is showing you towards the end that people are fighting it and there are cities and there are countries that are looking to ban this kind of technology from becoming a big brother type of surveillance state and i have nothing to say bad about it it's a wonderful fantastic documentary Yep, I'm with you guys both. I don't have anything specific that stuck out to me that I would, you know, criticize about it either. I think it's really well made and to the point. Maybe it could have been a little bit more like a cinematic and flashy at times, but I don't think it needed it. I think it 
gets the information and that was the most important thing. And I enjoyed getting to know the various personalities and women who've been doing this research and discovering these things and making efforts to try and stop it, like you guys said. So, Patrick, are you feeling it? I am feeling it, definitely. And um, I don't know, is this coming to theaters? Did you say it was? Or It is, yeah. It's doing okay. a theatrical run all over the country for the next month. So I would say definitely see it in the theater if you get a chance to, but definitely, definitely check it out at home. Coles, feeling it? Um, super feeling it. If you can get to a theater, watch it. If you can just only get to home, watch it. And we'll make that three. I am definitely feeling it as well. As I mentioned, I've already been telling friends and family that they need to check this out. I say go to the theater, not because it needs a theater, but because this is a great kind of film to support in a theater because it needs your money and it tells people that we want to see this content. So, you know, if you're safe and able to do so, yes, it's worth seeing as soon as possible. But if not, just like both of these gentlemen said, absolutely check it out as soon as it comes to video on demand. And we will probably be putting that out on our social media channels as soon as we find out it's available because we'll want to make sure everybody knows. So you can go check it out. Cool. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. Thank you. We will be on a little bit of a hiatus here at Feelin' Film for the next week and a half or so while I go through the baby phase with my new puppy staying up at all hours of the night and hopefully binging all of the Middle Earth universe once again, like I like to do. But we will be returning in a week and a half with our episode on Isle of Dogs, I think. And then right after that, we'll be coming back with another Feelin' Film Plus and three or four new movie recommendations for you. So thank you guys for listening. Till next time, keep watching movies. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.